Creative Babble. Warning, this episode will make you very, 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 very sleepy. Before we start this week's show, I just want to remind you that this is part two of The Hypnotist. If you want this episode to make sense, I suggest you start with part one. When I first met Mike, the hypnotherapist, he was a little wigged out by me. Well, yeah, I said I wasn't interested in being on a podcast. But over time, I earned his trust, and he agreed to hypnotize me free of charge, but only under one condition. I couldn't record the session. I agreed. Honestly, I wanted to be in the moment. I didn't want to be wearing my producer hat. But Mike surprised me. After the session, he told me that he recorded the whole thing and that it was all right for me to use it. So let's get this episode going. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. Picture this, a foggy evening, the whisper of secrets in the air, and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s. That's the backdrop of June's Journey, the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately. Instead of doom scrolling on social media, I am actually playing the part of June Parker, a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, and the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. It took me a few days to listen back to this recording. I was worried I would sound silly, but I was also curious if I remembered everything accurately. Before I play you the tape, I want to go back to my friend Nolan's house. We recorded immediately after my session. So, I get there tonight and he has an office here, you know. I walk in and we chit-chatted a little bit and he sat me down. He had like a comfy recliner. I took my shoes off because I, I wanted to be relaxed, you know. He told me to wear comfortable clothes and I lay there and he started the session. You're floating and drifting now, Javier. And as you float and drift, imagine you're in a beautiful field. And below your feet, 
So he started going through this guided meditation, and of course he has like really calm voice. And the grass is so green and plush and soft, and you feel so calm and relaxed. And all around you are the beautiful flowers, reds, the oranges, the yellows, the greens, the blues. And and slowly that turned into he wanted me to envision this this rainbow and all the colors. And what I thought was really interesting about that is how vivid, I don't know if it's just my imagination, but like how vivid this guided meditation was. He's describing this rainbow and I'm seeing this very, very wide rainbow where I could just walk right up to it. I walked right up to the color blue and it, and I, almost like a waterfall, like I went into it, you know, and it was just like soaking me in blue. Like I was like trying to get into it, you know, I was like, by the way. I listened back to the tape, and there was no mention of a rainbow. My imagination took his guided imagery and just ran with it. Now, as you're there, a big, beautiful kite appears. It's a very special kite. This kite is special because you can take anything that's holding you back in life, anything you need to let go of, and you'll pin it to the kite. So I'm going to count back from 10 to 1. And as I count back with each number, you will go deeper and deeper to sleep. Going deeper and deeper now. Deep sleep. And he started t telling me to think about things that are stressful and attach it to this kite. And the kite starts lifting and, and I'm attaching all these things and I'm letting go of the kite and it's getting further and further up in the sky. And then I cut the string and this, the kite just takes off and I felt lighter. Lighter. It was really weird. I know it sounds crazy. No, it doesn't. Releasing any stress, any worries, just letting it go, just pinning it to the kite. Five. Continuing to release now. Four. Three. Deeper and deeper. And one. And the kite goes higher and higher and higher, becoming smaller and smaller and smaller, higher and higher, smaller and smaller. But now the kite is just so, so far away. It's a mere speck in the sky. There were times where I know that my arms weren't moving, but like I felt like they were lifting, you know? Mm. It was really weird, like the Ouija board or something. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how much you try to see it, you cannot see the kite. You cannot see the kite, Javier. Can you see it? No. And the, all of that was great. I, I really enjoyed that part of it, where he's trying to get me to that zone. But then he, it almost seemed like he abruptly got me to that kitchen where it happened. Now in a moment, I'm going to count back. And as I count back, you're going to drift and float back in time. And you're going to go back to that time when you're in the kitchen. And that kind of took me out of it a little bit because I felt like I was getting in the zone, but I was not in the zone. Eight. Drifting and floating back in time. His office was near a main street, so I could hear the traffic going, but it wasn't distracting. Like, he definitely got me in the zone. And when you're ready, tell me what it is you notice, what's happening. 
So I see the, the round kitchen table. It's uh, made out of wood and these wooden bowls I remember from my childhood. And see um, my mom in the kitchen just preparing food and maybe doing something else. What else do you notice aside from the table and the bowls and mom being there? The TV's probably on in the corner and... Observe your mother. What do you notice about mom? I don't really see her much in the scene. I just, I know she's there. And I see the, the sofa in the living room now. It was like a wooden frame with, with uh, like a flower print cushions. Um, I mean, I know I was in a, in a walker. Okay. Kind of see my socks as a little kid, you know, just pushing, pushing the floor. Yes. being happy, I guess. Okay. Just going deeper and deeper. Just relax into the scene more and more now. Relaxing more and more. And so now he's having me describe the kitchen for him. And, and it was weird because I don't want to make anything up. I'm consciously not... You know what I, the kitchen looks like. You I know what the kitchen looks like. Right? I grew up in that house. Yeah. yeah. So how long were you in that house? Well, it's it's still my grandmother's house. It so, still is. But it's not. It doesn't look the way it did. Well, it doesn't. But you still have an but entire I know the lifetime's structure. worth of memories of yeah. compound memories of what it looks like. Oh yeah, I know yeah. that space yeah. very well. But what's funny is that he's having me describe this whole scene, and guess what? I'm seeing it from the walker. Like I'm looking up at the counter. I'm looking up at the kitchen table. That's what was weird about it, because I, I, but I don't know if that's just my active imagination. Okay. And really, I just see myself just going from one end to the other, just having fun. And let's just move forward a little bit of time, Javier. You there in the kitchen? I mean, I see the the cord. It's just kind of plugged into the wall, but kind of peeking out from the counter. So I'm not looking at it as a third person. I was looking at it from the baby's perspective. Yeah. And I thought that was... Were you intentionally looking from the baby's perspective? Were you calling a memory of you being that size? Or were you saying, hey, because I was this size... When that happened, I would see it from this perspective and you're creating the memory or creating the to vision me, in your head from that perspective. To me, it felt like the latter. Like I was creating right. a memory. You know that you would, were that height. And you, you right. Can, like you, I'm just if imagining. If you know the space, you can imagine it. Yeah. yeah, I know the space and I'm imagining what the vantage point would be right. for that exactly. little baby. But that's the weird thing. That baby didn't feel like it was me. No, it it was like, like I was role playing or something. Correct. Yeah. You know? 
if it was the baby's vantage point, this is what it would look like. You're it not was, rem recalling it. It was no different than walking up to that rainbow, stepping into it. You know, I've never walked into a rainbow and showered yeah, myself yeah, yeah. with these colors. You know what I mean? Right. But it felt just as real as that, you know, which to me is not proof that that really happened or that I was actually remembering something. I'd like you to step out of your body, Javier. I'd like you to imagine you're watching the scene. You're not in it. You're observing. And the cord gets pulled. And what happens? I mean, I guess my mom rushed into the room to, to hear what happened, to see what happened. Imagine that, that there was a lot of crying involved. How was the child doing? I think the child was scared. Because he didn't know what was going to happen. How bad was the accident? What do you notice? I don't know, um, just a lot of screaming and yelling. I imagine my mom didn't know what to do. But I was trying to play along. Right. That's why I felt like it, it happened too soon when he took me to the kitchen because every time he asked me questions, I was telling him what other people had told me. And what happens next? I mean, I'm recalling from the stories that people have told me, but my mom tells me that my great-grandmother, she splashed cold milk on me to stop the burn. The other thing I know is that a neighbor from across the street rushed me to the hospital because I guess they thought that would be quicker than getting the ambulance. Let's just flow into the memory. Let's not go by conversations you've had, let's just be in that scene. He kept telling me, don't tell me what other people had told me, tell me what you're seeing now. Notice your grandmother. What do you notice? I imagine I'm in the bathtub, just laying there crying and The skin just kind of peels right off of me, you know. Mm -hmm. About how old are you? Eight months. Eight months. And at that point, he wanted me to step out of the of that vantage point of the baby okay. and describe what happened next. And I'm like, now I'm, I feel like I'm just making shit up because right. I'm like, I don't know what happened next. I said, I guess my mom found me and started screaming and then I guess you know I heard the story about my grandmother putting cold milk on my body and then I'm I would imagine that somebody wrapped me up but you're, you're literally just spitballing you're but I'm just up what would have happened not, right? but know. I don't know if he was frustrated or not he didn't afterwards he didn't say he was frustrated I just couldn't get myself to play along like if I'm actually remembering something because I know I wasn't but I'm trying to imagine what happened 
I guess what was valuable about it is that it got me back to that place and I was re- able to remember details about that setting that I probably didn't recall before. Things that were in my mind, but not easily accessible, you know? Did you do any pre-work? Did no, you look at no. any photos? Or oh, anything? no, no, no. In fact, I purposely just stayed away from everything. And even the drive to there, I'd try not to think about it or anything like that because I didn't want to contaminate it, you know? Now, in a moment, we're going to count up from one to five, bringing you back to this present time and space. But before we do that, Here's one thing about the hypnosis session that I thought was really, really interesting. I thought it went really fast. You know how I told you that I felt like he just jumped right into the kitchen scene? And I was like, why is he rushing this? And when, and then he starts walking me out of it. You know, he's like, now he's doing the countdown to get me back into consciousness. I'm like, what's he doing? We're just getting into this. And now when I say five, the new Javier will open his eyes and come back fully alert, sound in body, sound in mind, and in total control of his feelings and emotions. Returning here now as I count up at one, two, three, beginning to awaken, four, becoming very aware of this time and space, and five, eyes open, awake, rested alert, and... and- when I came out of it and I said, how long did that last? And he goes, oh, that was like an hour. It felt like 15 minutes. Yeah. Really? That the was, whole thing felt like 15 minutes? It felt like 15 minutes. Hmm. It literally was an hour. We right. started at 7, ended at 8. Yeah. Well, it's like a massage. Yeah. You ever had a good massage? <laughs> I don't like people touching me. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> I don't feel like I recovered a memory that was lost or anything like that but i can tell you that it was very relaxing and it wasn't painful to go back to that scene i thought the experience was positive but i don't know if i believe in it more now than i did it's funny because after i left nolan's house i kept remembering more and more details about that time period More images kept popping into my head. Even the next day, I could access memories I hadn't thought about in years. All kinds of visuals. It's like I was remembering a lot of things about that time period, all except the actual incident. But here's the interesting part. I was able to remember certain things that probably two hours ago that I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you. So I remember the wooden kitchen table. It was like a round kitchen table like this. And I remember the wooden salad bowls that my mom used to have. Why would I remember that? That's so weird. And then I remembered the couch. I want to say it was a wooden frame, but it had uh, mango-colored cushions with flower prints. salmon, actually. But I remember that shit. And then I remembered the TV stand. I was remembering details of the room that don't exist now. But I don't know if those are just memories from my childhood or pictures from my childhood or different things from that I'm just compositing into this imaginary scene that I'm creating. Well, but I think that's exactly what he's trying to do. He's guiding you through meditation to relax your mind, to enable your mind to maybe it does take work. As you start putting these things together and you're like, oh, 
like those weren't the bowls or the wicker thing just the day that you got the water spilled on you. They were always the bowls and the wicker right. thing at that time period. Right. Whether it came from a photo or a memory, somehow you know that and you're putting that into the picture and now the picture's a little bit more real than it was before you put those wicker. Exactly. When we come back, I'm going to contact my old neighbors, you know, the people who were there that day, to see if what I remembered was accurate. Going into this thing, all I heard about the accident was the footnotes. I pulled the electric rice cooker, hot oil and water burned my body, my grandma dumped milk on me, my neighbor Leandro drove me to the hospital. That's it. No other detail about the accident. So essentially, I walked into this hypnosis session cold. The next thing I needed to do is talk to someone who was there to help me compare notes, to see if any of the visions that I saw during the hypnosis session was even accurate. So I called my old neighbors, who I haven't spoken to in more than 30 years. His name is Leandro. Well, actually, I called his daughter, Madeline, first because I didn't have his phone number. I didn't expect Madeline to remember the accident because she was only five years old. But boy, I was wrong. That day left a huge impression on her. I, I wasn't there when it happened. Literally, I was Madeline and her family didn't live next to us or across the street from us. They lived catty corner from my house. They heard the screaming. My dad crossed immediately. And I, I guess my mom ran after. At some point, my mom came running around back and she's like, get in the car, get in the car. And I remember sitting in the back with your mom, my dad carrying you, and my mom driving. And, it, there, and there was a smell that I will never forget. I remember the windows were down. I remember we took... Look how many things I remember. Like, I could take pieces back. The smell. That was a detail I never even imagined or thought of. You would think that I would be able to recall that smell during the hypnosis session, but I didn't. I could only imagine for you, you were what, like five? How old I were you? Now I'm 43, imagine. Oh, yeah, that must have been like really traumatizing even for you, right? So this funny. is not something I think about. This is not something no, that comes I to mean, my mind. I probably haven't thought about this in like 40 years no. or something. Yeah. And when you asked the question, I was like, holy shit, it took me back to that, in that moment. But isn't like, oh that God, interesting? Because you didn't need hypnosis to get there, but I needed hypnosis to get to that I place. But I wasn't yeah. in a traumatic. You right. were. I, it, it's just... The mind is, is something, and people don't understand, the mind is so powerful. My whole life, I thought it was Madeleine's father, Leandro, who drove me to the hospital alone. I didn't even know that his wife, Evie, and Madeleine were also in the car. That was another detail left out of my hypnosis session. So I called Madeleine's parents, Evie and Leandro, to see what they remembered about that day. Evie, it's Harry. Pretty good. How's it going? Oh yeah, hace tiempo. It's going. I know, man. It's been years, but <laughs> you're still our, our baby boy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I explained why I was calling. Yeah, I think what she told me is that you wanted to hear more, a little bit more about what had happened to you during that period. I was just wondering, could you just tell me what you remember? Evie started recalling the same story I've heard before. So I pulled the electric mother, rice cooker and I started screaming. Screaming and your mother, she started to scream and it was so loud. We were across the street and we heard it. I drove and Leo carried you. Uh, he was sitting in the front. I was driving and your mom and mother were sitting in the back. And man, the, uh, I was driving and I took all the red lights. 
uh, all the oh way gosh. 57, and then when Leo threw a towel, he was carrying you. With that towel, he will clean up a little bit, you know, but you couldn't even touch it that much. And God, and then Leo was crying as much as you. We were all crying as much yeah. as, as you were crying. And oh, my God. I, I, I'm really glad I don't remember any of this. <laughs> and that's how it all happened. I asked her to describe what I was wearing. She said I was wearing diapers and a white T-shirt. You were in a regular camiseta, white, con uh, yeah. It only got my arm, my shoulder, and my leg, and a little bit on my stomach, but it was the worst was on my arm. You know, everything was done very fast. Those days, I'm talking about 40 years ago, faster than it would have been if we would have called 911 and oh, wait yeah. for them to get there. Thank you, know, you so much. Yeah. No, man. You guys saved my life, for real. That's crazy. Well, we love you. You were like, you know, you were like my, my nephew to, yeah. to us. And you, then her husband, Leandro, got on the phone. I remember, I remember, vaya, lo que más, me acuerdo que tú gritabas tanto, tanto por el medio del camino. que estaba feeling, toda la, el, 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 el skin estaba... He said that the memory that replays over and over in his head is me screaming and my skin peeling off. He said that my flesh looked like it was cooking. It's funny how time fades away, even with the worst memories. Hypnosis or not, this tragic event has been reduced down to bullet points. I'm lucky that you were my neighbors, you know? Yes, yes, we were blessed. We had very good times together. When we come back... We're going to talk to a Harvard scientist who spent years studying hypnosis. Let's hear what he thinks of all this. Irvin Kirsch is an associate director of the Placebo Studies program at Harvard Medical School. He has a very different take on hypnosis. He says that the effects of hypnosis can feel and be very, very real. But there's a catch. We'll get to that later. Yeah, so I started asking myself all these questions like, is hypnosis even real? Do I even know what hypnosis is? And so I started asking a couple friends, you know, like, what do you think hypnosis is? And and everybody had like a different answer. And, and it, it made me realize that I don't think anybody really knows what hypnosis is. <laughs> so what is hypnosis? Okay, well, one very traditional definition of, of hypnosis is that hypnosis is a uh, culturally defined situation in which one person makes suggestions to another person for changes in experience and behavior. You know, in the academic world, it seems like it, there's two ways of thinking about it. There's state and non-state hypnosis. Could you describe that and what, what they mean by that? One of the traditional beliefs about hypnosis is that what you're doing is you're putting somebody into an altered state of consciousness, a trance. And you might be surprised to learn that Dr. Kirsch is a believer in hypnosis. Is hypnosis real? It depends on what you mean by real. Hypnosis by in and of itself doesn't do anything, but when you add hypnosis, to a uh, empirically validated therapeutic procedure, you can increase its effectiveness. What he's saying is that not everyone should be doing hypnosis. He agrees with the American Psychiatric Association. 
They say hypnosis should only be conducted by trained healthcare professionals as a therapeutic tool, not by itself. There are people who are, call themselves hypnotists, and they make suggestions to people for changes in their experience and behavior. That's real. And within the clinical setting, you have the qualified professionals who are psychologists, psychiatrists, physicians, nurses, and then you have what we call lay hypnosis. And they are people that don't have any qualifications to treat anything, who get a certificate in hypnosis. Sometimes they do that just by sending in a fee and getting the certificate by return mail without having any training whatsoever. No one should use hypnosis to do anything that they would treat anything that they would not be qualified to treat without it. And so what, what got you interested in this topic and hypnosis? Well, there are a couple of things uh, that did. First, it started when I was uh, an undergraduate student in psychology, and I got interested in uh, the placebo effect. A placebo is a drug or a treatment that doesn't really work. It has no real medical value. But if you're taking medication for, let's say, arthritis, and don't know that you're just taking a sugar pill, you might actually get the benefits of the drug and might actually start feeling better. But it was the placebo effect that got you into it. Not just the placebo effect, but the broad interest, which even, it's what led me to the placebo effect, is the effects of a person's beliefs and expectations. And I developed this notion called response expectancy. Pretty quickly, Dr. Kirsch discovered that the placebo effect is not that different than hypnosis. Both of these procedures work because the patient expects it to work. So it's interesting, just the power of suggestion alone could have the same effect on somebody as if they were to get themselves in a quote-unquote trance, right? Almost the same. In fact, the difference is relatively uh, small. What does make a difference is the individual. So some people seem to have a greater capacity for altering what they're experiencing in response to the suggestion. But a person who is capable of producing a particular response seems to be most people almost as easy to do it uh, without hypnosis as in. And that includes some of the very dramatic things like being able to create vivid hallucinations that are reflected in brain functioning as well in the parts that are activating those parts of the brains that don't get activated when you just imagine something, but do when you see something. Um, you can do this with a hypnotic induction, but those who can do that, most of them can do that almost to the same degree without the hypnotic induction. And are we all susceptible to hypnosis? Are some people easier to hypnotize than others? Well, some people seem more capable of responding to suggestion. Again, I don't, don't, don't know what does it mean to hypnotize, right? I can't think of a decent right. definition of it even, but some people have a greater capacity for responding to, I call them imaginative suggestions. I'm imagining I'm holding a heavy book in my hand. The book is pushing my hand down. The, the, I know there's no book there. I know there's nothing pushing it down, but I feel the heaviness. Right. And that's what makes the kind of suggestion that is characteristic of hypnosis, but can be experienced without the induction or the use of the word. Right, because some, some hypnotists or hypnotherapists say that they could help people who are amputees who have phantom leg or phantom arm syndrome. I would imagine that that's the same kind of suggestion, right? 
Yes, and, and they can help people, but it's not the trance that's doing it. It's the suggestibility of the person who's receiving the suggestion. When you do what's called conditioning, what you're doing are, is changing a per- person's expectations and that the effects of these procedures are with Pavlov's dog, the dog is expecting to get the meat when it hears the bell. That's what it learns from that conditioning experience. You put a rat in a maze, and in one part of the maze, you put some food, and the rat learns to expect that in this place, there's going to be food, and runs, starts running uh, straight uh, to it. How do you apply this theory to, to everyday problems that people may be experiencing? For people with positive attitudes towards hypnosis, doing so in hypnosis can make that even more powerful. One of the ways I think about hypnosis is that it's a non-deceptive placebo. There's a placebo effect, which is very powerful. We know that it can have lasting impacts on a number of conditions, but there's a problem. And the problem is that we assume that you need to think you're getting a real medication that you're not getting in order to have a placebo effect. So it's deceptive, and that's ethically problematic. There's nothing deceptive about hypnosis. You're not telling person, anything that isn't true. You are to manufacture this in yourself. You have that capacity. I'm going to help you achieve that. Dr. Hirsch says that just because hypnosis works, just like the placebo effect works, doesn't mean you should do it, especially what I did, trying to recover a painful memory. Whoops. There are dangers involved because the experiences can be very convincing. There are therapists who go after past lives and and early memories from the first year of life. We don't have memories from the first year of of life, but we can manufacture them in our heads. And hypnosis may facilitate doing that, especially if you believe that hypnosis can produce these real uh, memories. It only work if you believe, but isn't that the case for everyone? That part is true. It'll only work if you believe. <laughs> but regressing somebody back to an early childhood, let's say less than a year old, a, a, a child doesn't have language, doesn't have a way of forming memories. Is, is that even possible? Right. No, and that's the conventional view among memory researchers, scientists in the area of memories who said, no. It's not possible. The memories don't exist. And memories don't exist in that way in general. You don't have a recording in here. You just got to play and you replay that. Memory is reconstructive. That means anytime you remember something, you're reconstructing the memory. And so the memory changes or you just rehearse it over and over. (laughs) It's never a pure memory. It's never a pure memory. Yeah. Next time on Pretend. Many people assume that hypnosis isn't admissible in court, but they're wrong. There are people right now who could be completely innocent, sitting in jail, or maybe even on death row, who have been convicted because hypnosis was used against them as evidence in their trial. That's next time on Pretend. All right, 
So I want your feedback on this one because I really put myself out there with these two episodes. They're very different and they're very quiet episodes. They're very personal. So it's hard for me to tell whether you find it entertaining or informative or not. But um, I know many of you have opinions on hypnosis. So if you do, send me an email, javier at pretendradio.org. Also, I want to remind you that I partnered up with an independent artist to create custom collage artwork for each episode that's coming up. Her name is Colette Elliott, and you can find her at Colette Works on Instagram, and her work is fantastic. She created custom art for this episode. It's called Pretend Hypnotist, and I made a a t-shirt. I'm going to make a t-shirt for each episode so that you two could own a copy of each episode. So go to pretendradio.org and hit merch and you'll find this week's episode on a t-shirt it's awesome i bought one it looks great and for my patreon supporters i want you to know that this hypnosis series spawned off a whole lot of different content the harvard psychologist you heard from in this episode dr kirsch well he has a very controversial theory that antidepressants don't work it's actually a placebo effect and i'll have that bonus episode up pretty soon also part Three of this hypnosis series, which is a hypnosis in court, is going to be out pretty soon, too, on Patreon. Oh, and remember the penis lady? (laughs) You know who I'm talking about. Her interview was so wild that I just couldn't, I could have made a whole episode just on her. But so I decided to put the nearly uncut episode on Patreon. So you can listen to that there, too. So there's lots of fresh material on Patreon right now that you should check out or will be there soon. So anyway, again, happy Thanksgiving, and I hope everyone is healthy and safe, and we'll talk real soon. Creative power.